Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com, and this is Antiwar News for Monday, September 26th, 2022. I hope everybody had a good weekend. The first story at the top of Antiwar.com today, Russia says that it's not threatening anyone with nuclear weapons. So this came from Russian Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Rebkov. He said this on Friday, that Russia was not threatening anyone with nuclear weapons and that Moscow does not want a direct conflict with the U.S. and NATO. He said, quote, we are not threatening anyone with nuclear weapons. The criteria for their use are outlined in Russia's military doctrine, end quote. So according to Russia's doctrine, um, they say that they could use nuclear weapons if Russia is facing an existential threat. And Russian officials have made clear throughout the current war in Ukraine that that is still the policy. Now, Putin said last week that Moscow could use nuclear weapons to defend its territorial integrity. And now those comments were more of an explicit warning than we've really seen, but it still does kind of fall in line with this doctrine. For a, From a state's perspective, the threat of losing their territorial integrity could mean uh, that their existence is threatened. But Russian territory is set to expand into Ukraine after referendums that are currently being held in the Donbass. Kherson, and Zaporizhia regions. And Ukraine is planning to launch more counteroffensives against these territories using weapons and intelligence provided by the U.S. and other NATO countries. So the point here is that while this does fall in line with what other Russian officials have said throughout the, the war, you know, what Putin said last week, it still is significant. It marks kind of a shift because of these referendums, because these territories in Ukraine where the war has been going on, Mainly, uh, they're going to become Russian territory to Moscow. That's how they're going to view it. And we've already seen comments from U.S. and NATO officials. They're not going to rec recognize these referendums. So they're going to be um, funding and arming this, these, all these attacks against them. And, you know, if you think about the idea of nuclear deterrence, you know, the idea is that um, these big powers that have nuclear weapons, they're not all big powers, but the, the, these countries like the U.S. and Russia that are armed to the teeth with nuclear weapons, you know, that's kind of a deterrence for attacks on them. But here uh, you have the U.S. and NATO funding this war on their border. Now, Rabkov, he said that uh, it's not in Russia's interest to be fighting a direct conflict with the U.S. and NATO. He said, quote, a face-off with the United States and NATO, which is fraught with an open-armed conflict, is not in our interest. We hope that the Biden administration understands the risks of uncontrolled escalation of the conflict in Ukraine, given the repeated statements by their officials that they don't plan to send American servicemen to Ukraine, end quote. So Biden has repeatedly said that he would not send U.S. troops into Ukraine to fight Russia. Although, according to a report from the New York Times, there is a CIA presence on the ground in Ukraine. And, and that report also said that there are special operations forces in Ukraine from the UK, France, Canada, and Lithuania. Those are all NATO countries. So there is, to some extent, a US and NATO presence on the ground in Ukraine. All right, so the next one here, more talk of this, you know, these nuclear warnings and threats, uh, the U.S. warns of catastrophic consequences if Russia uses nukes. So this is National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. He said this on Sunday. 
that the U.S. would respond if Russia used nuclear weapons in Ukraine and said that Moscow would face catastrophic consequences. He said, quote, if Russia crosses this line, there will be catastrophic consequences for Russia. The United States will respond decisively, end quote. He said that on Meet the Press, the NBC News show. He was on a few other cable news shows on Sunday where he said something pretty similar. Now, he did not detail exactly what the U.S. response would be, but I think the wording suggests that the U.S. could carry out a nuclear strike in, in response, which could lead to a nuclear exchange that could kill billions of people. So this is, you know, the talk that this is what, uh, you know, is being talked about now. This is the reality of what it could lead to. Um, but there's still no sign that Russia is preparing to use a nuclear weapon just because of these warnings and stuff. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen anytime soon. Um, and U.S. officials acknowledge that in comments to the New York Times. Sullivan said that the U.S. has spelled out in great detail exactly what it would mean in private messages to Moscow, exactly what the U.S. would, would do, is what he's saying. But then again, we had the Washington Post reported the other day, um, which Kyle Anzalone wrote up on Friday, that the U.S. has been warning Russia. They're saying through back channels. They've been warning them over the past few months uh, against the use of nuclear weapons. They've been saying that there would be grave consequences. But again, according to this Washington Post report, you know, that cited U.S. officials, um, it said that the warnings were intentionally vague. But here Sullivan is saying that they told Russia, you know, exactly what it was mean, would mean. So maybe after Putin's latest uh, thing here, he said something. But I'll be curious to see what Russian officials, if, if they have anything to say about what Sullivan said here. Um, Sullivan said that the Biden administration has been in frequent contact with Russia, although there still have not been any recent high-level uh, meetings publicly. And we haven't seen Blinken speak with Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, except for one time when they spoke about a prisoner swap. But besides that, we haven't seen them speak publicly, at least. Again, you know, there could be stuff going on behind the scenes, um, but since really the invasion. And um, so the next one, we're going to get into the uh, referendum stuff. So a Russian lawmaker says that Ukrainian territories could be absorbed by Russia on September 30th. So that's very soon. That's uh, that's Friday. The areas of Russia, Russian-controlled Ukraine that are holding referendums on joining Russia may be absorbed by the Russian Federation on September 30th, a Russian lawmaker told TASS. On Saturday, referendums are currently being held in the self-declared republics of Donetsk and Luhansk and the Kherson and Zaporizhia regions, as I mentioned, and the voting is set to be concluded on Tuesday. That's the 27th. Um, so this unnamed member of Russia's state Duma, which is their lower house of parliament, um, said this, uh, that they are expecting this this to happen as as soon as Friday. I mean, that's very soon. And uh, this Russian lawmaker said that Putin could take part in the procedure, which I'm, I'm assuming he likely would. There would be some sort of ceremony or something with Putin. And he expressed support for these referendums last week during his speech. I mean, it's pretty much a done deal. It seems like that these territories are going to be absorbed by Russia. Uh, which is going to be a pretty serious escalation in this in this war. 
And Tass also reported that the State Duma will be could begin discussions on a bill for absorbing these territories, for annexing these territories as soon as Wednesday. And uh, Russian officials have made clear that after annexing these regions, they would view the attacks on the area as attacks on Russian territory. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, he said on Saturday that the new territories would be under Russia's full protection. We also saw Dmitry Medvedev. He's the deputy chair of Russia's Security Council, former Russian president. He said explicitly that these territories would be uh, could be protected with nuclear weapons. Um, and again, I just mentioned at the end of the article this stuff about Putin's warning and what uh, Medvedev had to say. So this is happening, and it seems like it's happening quick. Uh, we don't know for sure. Yeah, again, this is just an unnamed Russian lawmaker speaking to TASS, but uh, I think it's... It, important to show just how quick you know this is probably going to happen that these territories are going to be uh absorbed into russia all right the next one here the democrats in congress are divided on sending ukraine longer range weapons uh, so this is according to a report from the hill uh ukraine has requested is asking the u.s to send a lot more weapons so far the u.s has pledged over 15 billion in arms that they're shipping to ukraine um, but in Ukraine is looking for more advanced stuff as they're looking to the future. They have big plans for more counteroffensives. And one thing that they want is longer range missiles, as uh, we've talked about a lot, specifically the Army Tactical Missile System, which has a range of about 190 miles, significantly longer than anything Washington has provided Ukraine up to this point. And Russia has warned that if the U.S. sends this longer-range weapon, it would cross a red line and require a response. Russia would have to respond, is what they're saying. And the Biden administration has been hesitant to send these uh, missiles over concerns of provoking a response from Moscow. But the administration is under increasing pressure from Congress. Representative Tom Malinowski, a Democrat from New Jersey, he said that the U.S. should send these longer-range weapons since Russia hasn't taken, since Russia has not taken action against the U.S. or its NATO allies in response to the current levels of support. He said that the U.S. support hasn't quote caused Putin to do any of the insane things that some people feared he would end quote. So what he's saying there is something uh, I've seen from quite a few uh, people and reports, kind of this idea that oh well they haven't done anything yet. Well, let's push a little further and, you know, and just the fact that they can say this after Putin came out, after all this talk about nuclear weapons and these referendums and this territory being absorbed. I mean, it's clear Russia is sending a major signal here that they, they might start doing something. If they're going to consider these attacks on Russian territory, you know, who knows what could happen. And I'm not saying that this is uh, definitely... A possibility but maybe we see russia strike a nato base or something in poland and what would happen then i mean this is what they're this is leading toward if they just keep provoking keep escalating um and this attitude that oh they haven't done anything yet is just such a dangerous attitude because that how far does that go oh they haven't done anything yet we might as well send some troops into ukraine to actually fight them um so Anyway, uh, Rep. Jason Crow, Democrat from Colorado, he also favors sending Ukraine these longer-range weapons. 
and said that he received assurances from a Ukrainian presidential official that they wouldn't be used to target Russian territory. So this was a big thing when the U.S. first sent the HIMARS rocket systems that have a range of 50 miles. Um, they're currently equipped with missiles that have a range of 50 miles. These Army tactical missiles can actually be fired from the HIMARS. So that was always a risk. You know, they send the HIMARS with these missiles. They could always equip them with much longer range missiles. And maybe even that's something they could do quietly. You know, they don't really have to tell us that they're sending these longer range missiles. Um, or another country could send them, you know, stuff like that's always possible. Uh, but when they sent the HIMARS, they said they got these assurances from Ukraine that they wouldn't be used to target Russian territory, uh, although that restriction does not appear to apply to Crimea. Um, and again, soon all Ukrainian attacks are going to be considered attacks on Russian territory. Uh, but other Democratic lawmakers who spoke with the Hill said that they shared the Biden administration's concerns about possible escalations with Russia, including Rep. Gregory Meeks, Democrat uh, from New York, he said that he did not want the U.S. to look like the aggressor in the war. Um, so speaking of all that Ukraine stuff, I got to mention our sponsor, How the West Brought War to Ukraine. It's a great book from Benjamin Ablo about the events post-Cold War that led the U.S. and NATO provocations and other Western provocations that have uh, led to the situation we find ourselves in today. The book is only $10 on Amazon. It's about 60 to 70 pages, and it's packed full of good facts and also great analysis. It's all tied together nicely. If you need a refresher on this issue or you don't know too much about it, this is the perfect book. There's not really any other books like it that have been published since Russia invaded on February 24th, and it's $10 to buy the hard copy but if you want, uh, if you can't spend that money, he put up the Kindle version, the ebook version for 99 cents. That's the cheapest price he could sell it for uh, just because he wants to get this book out there. So How the West Brought War to Ukraine, you can find it in the link in the description. Uh, go buy it, help support the show, support a good author. And uh, you'll really, uh, it's just, again, you'll really learn some important stuff here. Important context. Okay, let's keep going here. The next story, China. China's foreign minister tells Blinken that the U.S. is sending dangerous signals over Taiwan. So Chinese foreign minister Wang Yi told Anthony Blinken on the sidelines of the U.N. General Assembly on Friday that the U.S. is sending very wrong, dangerous signals on the issue of Taiwan. The conversation between the two diplomats was focused on Taiwan and came after President Biden said that the, the U.S. would defend the island in the event of a Chinese attack, marking the fourth time he's made the pledge as president. The Biden administration is, insists that U.S. policy over Taiwan hasn't changed, but Biden's comments go against the longstanding policy of strategic ambiguity for the island, which means the U.S. is not supposed to say one way or the other if they would defend Taiwan if China invaded. But Biden's clearly changing that. Uh, again, it's the fourth time, and this time the White House didn't really walk it back. Uh, according to the Chinese Foreign Ministry, Wang told Blinken that China views Biden's recent comments as the U.S. moving away from the commitments it made when normalizing with Beijing, which involved the U.S. severing diplomatic ties with Taiwan. So it's important to always note which that happened in 1979 when it was formalized. It's just always important to note that this is the foundation, the basis of U.S.-China relations. Is this the U.S. not 
recognizing Taiwan and or supporting Taiwan independence. Wang said that the U.S. must, quote, clearly reaffirm its commitment to the one China policy and unequivocally state its opposition to any Taiwan independent separatist activity, end quote. And he said that the more rampant what he called was Taiwan's separatist activity, um, peaceful reunification, as they call it, is less likely. That's what China says, that their uh, goal is peaceful unification, but they don't rule out the use of force. Uh, The following day, so Blinken and, and Wang, they met on Friday, and then the following day, Wang addressed the General Assembly in New York, and he said that external interference over Taiwan would not be tolerated. He said, quote, only when China is fully reunified can there be true peace across the Taiwan Strait, end quote. So, um, you know, these are pretty, this is what we should expect from how how China is going to respond to what Biden's saying. You know, they're not happy with it. And um, they, obviously, it's, it's the U.S. Uh, taking a different approach as they have over the past few years with Taiwan by increasing support in all different ways. Uh, but amid the heightened tensions over Taiwan, Vice President Kamala Harris is traveling to Asia. There she will attend the funeral of Shinzo Abe, the former prime minister of Japan who was assassinated in July. So she's going to go to Japan and South Korea. And she will meet with Japanese officials in Tokyo and with South Korean officials in Seoul. And she's expected to discuss Taiwan's security. So, you know, that trip can make some headlines depending on what she says. Now, it'll this is just pure speculation, but it'll be interesting to see. Maybe Kamala Harris comes out and says that the U.S. would defend Taiwan, you know, because that would make it clear that it's not just, uh, you know, a gaffe from Biden, that it's something the administration really uh is believes as that or or is claiming that is their policy and then there's also the possibility this there's no indication that this is going to happen but if the biden administration really wanted to take things to the next level with china to really provoke something we maybe harris would just appear in taiwan um but i don't think they're ready to take that step i mean if the vice president went to taiwan that would be huge because uh to china nancy pelosi going there as the House Speaker is the third highest U.S. official. Um, And they say there's precedent for that because Newt Gingrich went in 1997 when he was the House Speaker. But U.S.-China relations were much better back then. Before he went to Taiwan, he was in Beijing. I mean, can you imagine a, a member of Congress going to Beijing and shaking hands with Chinese officials and saying nice things about China? Um, it's just a totally different world that we're in. So, you know, if Harris went, I mean, China would really, they it, from their view, they would really have to do something pretty major. Um, it's, you know, we did see major response from Pelosi, but something more so. But again, there's no indication that she's going, and I don't think that they're going to take things to that level. But you never know. I mean, they keep surprising me, these people, how far they're willing to go. Uh, the next one, this is just an article from uh, The Cradle. And it's about how uh, the Shia rival uh, Shia groups in Iraq, they're uh, rivals of Maqtada al-Sadr's party, who is the Shia cleric who is not aligned with Iran or the U.S. He's more independent-leaning. Uh, um, these rival blocs have um, agreed to hold early elections. And they're saying that 
Sodders, uh, the the members of parliament that are in Sodders party. So just quick background. Uh, last October, so almost a year ago, Iraq held elections and the Sodderists, they, they won the majority. They had, they won the most seats in parliament, but he failed to form a government um, partially because he didn't want to work with these Shia groups that he considers corrupt and, and subservient to a foreign power and all these other things. Um, and that culminated in recently we saw Sadrists storm uh, government buildings in the green zone in Baghdad and there was violent clashes and people were killed. A few dozen people were killed. Uh, but now they're saying it looks like there's going to be another election. Um, but amid this kind of political turmoil, the Sadrists all resigned. Um, so they're saying that they want the Sadrists to participate. Let's get this election going. So uh, we'll see what happens with this. Um, Sadr also announced that he was retiring from politics. So who knows really what that means. Um, but just expect, I guess, to see another election in Iraq. Um, all right. So the last one on on the in the news section, I mean, this is really something. An Air Force general delivered this speech at an aerospace industry conference last week. This is an article from Task and Purpose. And said, when you kill your enemy, your life is better, every part of it. And this is a guy, General Mike Minihan, Minihan, uh, however you say that, he's the head of Air Mobility Command. And he said at the Air and Space Force Association's Airspace and Cyber Conference at National Harbor in Maryland, he came out warning about the threat of China, which is the new, all the talk at all these types of conferences. Really a lot of like high level Air Force, Navy officials have said some really just kind of unhinged things about China, about how they think they're going to take over. You know, he's saying that um, your kids could grow up subservient to China, you know, if we don't um, take, get ready to fight them. He's saying that currently... The U.S. military is not ready to fight and win inside the first island chain, which is the first island chain is a series of islands. It stretches from southern Japan, you know, Okinawa uh, up there down to the Philippines and, and other territories in between. Um, and the U.S. military, they want to set up a series of long range missiles there as part of their their uh, their build up against China um, right now, though. Luckily, they're, they're having a hard time figuring out where to put these missiles because a lot of these countries are hesitant. And unfortunately for Japan and the people of Okinawa, who are a lot of them are very against the U.S. presence there. It looks like a lot of these missiles might end up in Okinawa. Um, but so this guy, he's saying that, you know, right now we're, we're not prepared to fight them there, but we have to be or, you know, your kids are going to have to bow down to China. Um but going down here, this is the quote. I mean, this is really insane stuff here. He said in this speech while talking about China, keep that in mind. He said, quote, lethality matters most. When you can kill your enemy, every part of your life is better. Your food tastes better. Your marriage is stronger. End quote. So, I mean, that's a pretty uh, unhinged thing to say. And what's interesting, what the author points out here is that he's not a, he was a C-130 transport plane pilot he wasn't a fighter pilot he wasn't a bomber pilot and now he commands as the air mobility chief he commands a fleet of cargo jets and uh, refueling planes so he says 
in his speech, I'll just read what he said. Quote, why is the mobility guy talking about lethality? This is who we are. We are lethal. Do not apologize for it. The pile of our nation's enemy dead, the pile that is biggest is in front of the United States Air Force, quote, end quote. So he's saying there, you know, we kill the most people. We're the Air Force. We drop all these bombs and kill people, and we should be proud of it. And that's kind of the attitude, I guess, that he wants, uh, you know, airmen to, to have uh, when it comes to China. So what does that mean? You know, um, but yeah, just gives you an, a look into his thinking and probably uh, maybe other uh, top level Air Force and other military officials thinking. Um, but all right, that's uh, that's the news for today. We have a lot of good viewpoints, as always. Uh, some originals from Ray McGovern and Ted Snyder. Uh, but um, I want to remind everybody, October 8th at the Department of Justice in Washington, D.C., there will be a rally at 12, from 12 to 3 Eastern time for Julian Assange, which is, uh, you know, it's the most important, one of the most important issues of our time. If he's prosecuted and uh, convicted, if he's extradited to the U.S., convicted and sent to jail for publishing information, it will set a precedent that anything the government doesn't want published means that, you know, publishers can be put in jail for something like that. So please attend. I will be speaking. And along with, um, I know Jill Stein's going to be there, Ben Cohen, co-founder of Ben and Jerry's. Um, there's going to be a big lineup of speakers and uh, Joe Loria from Consortium News. They're great. They really cover the Astonish stuff well. Kevin Gostela, another great from Shadowproof is his uh, outlet and the dissenter, I believe. But he's really great. I mean, one of the probably the most thorough journalists uh, out there when it comes to covering the Assange stuff and just whistle, whistleblower stuff in general. So you definitely want to hear what he has to say. Uh, but that's it. You can contact the show news at antiwar.com. You could buy a you know, sweet antiwar.com t-shirt uh, in the link. You can find that. That's a cool way to support us. Uh, but that's it for me. Follow me on Twitter. You can message me there. Let me know if you think you could make it to the Assange protest. That would be cool. I know it's in D.C. if you're in the area or you could travel. I think it's really important. Uh, but that's it. I'll, I'll catch you tomorrow with more news. Thanks for listening.